This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. We were watching the returns for a president, trying to figure out what's going on. Somebody just won an election by defining us as being scared and small and afraid. And so we just, you know, what, what are we going to do? And out of that conversation came this idea of, what if we ran for Senate? Filmmaker David Medigliani spent a lot of time with Beto O'Rourke for his HBO documentary, Running with Beto. While O'Rourke's 2018 Senate race in Texas did not suffer from a lack of exposure, Medigliani casts it in a different light in his movie. He shows more than just Beto's armpit sweat and DIY shtick. There are lonely moments in hotel rooms, uncomfortable ones where Beto chews out his staff, and behind-the-scenes footage before the national spotlight arrived. Spoiler alert, Beto lost but he is now running for president. Gotta run like there's nothing to lose. And Medigliani has a lot to say about the year and a half on the road with Beto. David Medigliani, your new film documents the almost two years of Beto O'Rourke's Senate run in Texas, something that really captivated the political world. You welcome to political theater. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. So one of the things that uh, caught my attention when we were talking a little bit was that you originally, you went fr- uh, you're, you're a Massachusetts Boston native, uh, and you went to Texas uh, as part of a, a theater, for, for theater, and before getting into the film community there. Let's talk a little bit about like, how you got to Texas. I moved to Austin in 2004 for a writing fellowship and playwriting at the Michener Center for Writers, which is part of UT. I had written a play that I submitted that was about essentially farmers during the farm crisis in the mid-80s when farmers were losing their farms at a historic rate. The suicide rates had gone up drastically, and many of them were sort of exposed to the anti-government movement. People like Timothy McVeigh, Terry Nichols, who was his accomplice in the Oklahoma City bombing, was sort of involved in these anti-government movements that kind of radicalized these farmers who were in very dire straits. And so I'd written a play about that, was interested in, you know... Pop, set in Texas? No, no, that was set in the in the Midwest. Okay. Yeah. And uh, submitted that and, and, and got this writing fellowship and moved down to Austin. And while I was there, I was I was candidly struggling with the solitary discipline of, you know, a white page and me a, alone in a room. And I was trying to kind of get out of a rut. And knowing I, that the rest of the city was having a really good time listening to music and eating barbecue. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was drawn to the town of Crawford, Texas, this 700 person one stoplight town that George W. Bush had thrust onto the world stage when he moved uh, in about six months before he announced his candidacy for president. You know, we're going to do this play. It's going to be an expose about Bush's political stagecraft and how he's taking advantage of these people. And I went there and was so charmed by the people there, how smunny, excuse me, how funny mm-hmm. and smart, what great storytellers they were, that I realized that abstracting from them, writing a play in some way, would sort of be a disservice. It was like, we got to get these people on camera. And so, you know, convince some people to come out and start shooting footage. Um, I stayed and finished the playwriting program there, but, um, f- you know, finagled my way into an editing class, had the chance to put together a teaser, uh, and then eventually stayed 
stayed in Austin and finished this film, which was my first film, Crawford, which really wound up being sort of um, the Bush era through the eyes of the of the characters in this town. And I, I have to say, just on a personal note, when I was watching Crawford uh, just just the other day, uh, some of these people, I, I, I think some of my relatives must have just picked up from Cottonwood, Arizona and moved there. I mean, I think you did capture a different side of Crawford that, uh, as, as you stated in, in the movie, kind of that, that uh, you know, when CNN or Fox would set up and they had these, you know, bales of hay in the background. I mean, I see that, that Beto also connects with people uh, in Texas in a way that is, is difficult to fake. You know, because I think so much of what is is being written about Beto is what is this? Is this guy for real? You know, what what is is the stagecraft? And it's very difficult to fool people, and it's very f- difficult to not connect with people when you're in these intimate settings. Yeah, and and that was part of what drew me to him. Uh, and and in fact, Crawford was kind of part of my pitch to him when I I had met him through a baseball game, but a few months later had a chance to have breakfast with him, and it was kind of my one moment. It was 7 a.m., which seemed very early moment to ask someone <laughs> to spend the next couple of years of, the, of their life and you know open up their inner circle to you. Um, but the fact that Beto was going to go to every county in Texas, including these very deep red conservative areas, and sort of show up and have the conversation and, and interact on this kind of human to human basis. Yes, mm-hmm. maybe we've belonged to different political parties, but let's talk about things. And um, I told him that I had had this experience going to Crawford and, um, you know, that was sort of transformational for me and that that's what part of what was drawing me into this odyssey that he uh, had just begun across Texas. Um, and I think that was part of what m- may have made him feel like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, give this guy a chance. The the baseball game. Uh, tell tell that story because I, I love it. It's, it's it's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's it's like as it is the the most Beto story we could possibly con- you know concoct. You know, right, it's, it's awesome. Right. So uh, I'm I'm a founding member uh, of the Texas Playboys Baseball Club, a Sandlot team in Austin, mm-hmm. and this we is hardball baseball. Hard real baseball. Real yeah, baseball. The uh, you know we play about every two to three weeks, which is enough time for all of the injuries of our middle aged bodies to uh, to heal. <laughs> Um, and, uh, we will have friends in other cities that will sometimes form a team and come play us, make Mm -hmm. a weekend out of it. And so in April of 2017, Los Diablitos de El Paso showed up and they had this lanky center fielder with a funny name. Uh, and he happened to be a U.S. congressman and, uh, I was playing first base. He got a single and he was like, so, Hey, I'm, I'm running for Senate. Uh, and... (laughs) And I, I had been, you know, looking for a story um, post-2016, just feeling how much we dehumanize each other through politics and how much that leaves people disconnected and kind of just dropping out of the process entirely and looking for a story that might humanize it, might make it feel accessible. And so during the seventh inning stretch, he jumped up on a hay bale and he brushed his sweaty locks aside in his dirty uniform. And, you know, it was clear like, oh, this guy's, you know, a movie star and, and, and he's got this biological ability to connect w- with people people. But when he described the type of campaign that he was going to run, not just the 254 counties, but only, you know, uh, raising money from other human beings, no PACs or corporations, you know, that he wasn't going to hire any consultants or pollsters, that he was going to just say what he actually thought and not try to moderate his policy position for, for optics. Basically, like, 
you know, saying progressives have been banging their heads against the wall for 30 years in Texas. We have to try something new. And that, you know, sounded like um, a, a, a real story, something that would lend itself to um, a film. Of course, he was running also against this epic foil and Ted Cruz. Right. And so uh, a guy who you could it, it's almost like you couldn't construct a person who was more different than than Beto (laughs) O'Rourke. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if if Beto sort of represents, you know, politics as they could be or as we might hope they, you know, could be, Cruz kind of represents a a lot of things that people hate about politics, including many Republicans uh, in Texas and beyond who sort of can't stand Cruz and and maybe some of the the worst elements of, of politics. But there is a moment in the film where he actually connects it in a way that I hadn't thought about. I mean, somebody in the crowd asked him, like, you were in a punk rock band. What makes you think you can be a senator? And he says, like, stay with me for a minute. Like, and while I, while I turn this you know, around, I, I promise it'll connect. And it was that when he was a teenager listening to music on the radio, it just didn't connect with him. And it was, it was too uh, overprogrammed Politics. and corporatized and prescribed. And then when a friend of his approached him about being in a punk rock band, it stripped music back down to something that connected with him. And he wanted to be a part of that. And that was just such a, I hadn't thought about that. And I, I mean, I go to shows a lot. I mean, I think about music a lot. I think about like, you know, auditory mediums a lot and visual ones. And I hadn't thought about that. And that's just such an interesting way of, of putting it and turning something that could be almost kind of sort of embarrassing to a strength in his, in the thing. And it's, and it's really, it's presented in a com- kind of a compelling way. Yeah, and he, he he goes on in that answer to also essentially compare the Democratic Party in Washington to corporate record labels. Yeah. You know, basically saying we, we have to take this back. Um, right. And that that being a brand of politics he wanted to to pursue, and you do see it, um, you know, the the elements of having been in a punk band manifest themselves through the campaign as well, even if the you know the comparison isn't being drawn. But um, you know, he would sort of stand out at the front of of the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, he always wanted when venues were being set up, you know, speaking of stagecraft, um, to be close to the audience. He hated to be removed from them. He needed their energy to you know the seventh eighth event of the right. day to to feed off and and keep going. Um, And honestly, um, it felt a lot like following a rock band making this film. Watching them navigate all of this um, with this kind of radically candid guy and Beto, it it felt like it had this Dylan aspect to it. Um, And I love D.A. Pennybaker's film, the the immersive quality of it, the scene to scene, as you see in our film, there really are hardly any talking heads, any sit down interviews. We really are just trying to observe these intimate moments as well as the epic ones, but to to feel um, that behind-the-scenes nature where you're really just observing in some of these small, quiet moments what this experience is like. And so, anyway, the the, the right. there is that uh, band on the. You also you you capture moments that are not particularly flattering too, uh, where people are obviously uncomfortable, uh, and you're not intruding on them, but they know that. Uh, their, that this is an uncomfortable moment and it doesn't show their candidate or themselves in a particularly good light, but they kind of let it go anyway because this is what they signed up for, right? I mean, you know, again, the, to emphasize one of the que- questions you answered at the screening, the campaign had nothing to do with this except giving you access. They didn't have any say right. over any of it. But there, in particular, there was a, you know, in, they're in close quarters and he's kind of chewing out uh, Cynthia Cano, his, his deputy campaign manager, his scheduler, if you will. And she's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you can see her look over at you and your camera and and she's like 
how much longer do I have to be chewed out in, in public? This is going to be on like HBO. Thanks, Beto. Right, <laughs> and, right. and there's another moment where he has a similar sort of thing about scheduling. You got to keep us on schedule. And everybody's had that boss, right? Like the reason we're off schedule, boss, is because you keep talking to other people. <laughs> right. But they're, and, and, but they're, you're, they're in a car and like your camera is just right there. And he's just like giving it to her. And she's like, Oh no, like I've got another one of these moments. <laughs> yeah. I know I was um, a giant asshole to be around sometimes. <laughs> and um, you all never allowed my shortcomings to get in the way of running the best campaign. No, it was um, hugely important to us to make a fully independent film um, for the campaign to have no uh, access to the footage or control over the cut and really wanted to show the human experience of running for office warts and all. Um, to see him in moments of real frustration, uh, the controlled chaos of a campaign where you're sort of flying the plane and building it at the same time. I think we see so many polished versions of candidates. We only see them when the stagecraft is all sort of ready to roll and wanted to open up you know, and, and bring an audience into the, the, the real lived emotion of some of those really difficult moments to make something that's not a hagiography and not, and not a puff piece. But I think ultimately, hopefully, also might inspire some folks to run for office for the first time. You certainly see how grueling and challenging it is. You see how hard it is on his family. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you see, well, maybe I don't have to be perfect to run for office. You know, right. maybe I don't have to be this polished person. Maybe, maybe I can I, sweat on stage, which it, he does profusely exactly. most of the time. Like a good punk rocker. Right. right. You know, Just like, here it is. Here's my dirty T-shirt. Yeah, like, on. you yeah. know, this is who I am. And, and that there was there's something that, uh, that, that, that works about that. So, yeah, I'm excited. You certainly see in the, you know, him in this film in ways that he's not been seen before, I think in ways that are revelatory, both both flattering and unflattering. Mm -hmm. And so it's exciting to be bringing this film into the world in a moment where people, I think, are, are curious to know more about this guy. We're going to wrap up uh, shortly, but I, I'm curious what you think about the presidential campaign. I mean, you're not involved in, in documenting this, but it's sort of unfolding in real time before us. He was sort of knocked, you know, when he got onto the national stage for the some of the same things that worked in Texas, jumping up on counters and, and things like that. I mean, what's what's been your impression of him? You know, he did a town hall in Iowa for CNN. What what do you what do you see? Do you see the same candidate, or you see somebody who is a little bit more managed, who may have hired a few more consultants at this point? Right. I see him very much as the same person. I think. This primary is so long that it's impossible to humanly internalize. It's kind of like a baseball season where you think like this couple of weeks this team's having like this is the the be all end all. But in a couple months down the line, it sort of has all been trade everybody. forgotten. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just the volume of news cycles between mm -hmm. now and the end of you know I think at least Super Tuesday when a candidate like Beto is going to raise enough money to stick around you know happen. So I see him out there doing the the groundwork in some of the early primary states, and I think he. He has um, he has everything that you can't teach in a political candidate. Um, just these incredible natural skills of recall, of human connection, of of inspiration. Um, somebody who can read a briefing book and just be really dialed in on on policy. And I think he clearly has things to learn. And that was exposed, I think, early on in, uh, in his candidacy as much about how to deal with and have a communication staff that deals with the media and the narratives that they're going to project because they've got stories to write for the next day. Um, and so we'll see if that comes into play. And I think, you know, in a campaign like this, everybody's going to sort of have their moment and you just hope that your moment happens at the right time. So I think he'll be in the thick of it. 
Well, David, thank you very much for your time. I uh, wish you luck with your movie. And again, it's on it's on HBO. And uh, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep in touch. I, I'm curious to see what you're up to next. Thank you. Pleasure to be uh, on this podcast with you. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this and other CQ Roll Call podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you happen to get your podcast. And please take a moment to rate us. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jason J. Dick, and you can DM me there, or you can visit us on rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at rollcall. Thanks for listening.